Thank you for downloading this episode of the Mac Report Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our subscribers over at themacreport.com. Their support allows us to bring you our coverage of Merrimack Athletics. If you are a subscriber, I thank you. And if you're interested in becoming a subscriber and gaining access to all of our coverage, head on over to themacreport.com today and sign up. If you don't want to subscribe but still want to support us, please rate and review our podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you to our subscribers for making our coverage possible. And now, on to this week's episode. Well, Ian, we said last week that uh, we didn't record an episode last week, but we did say last week in text that, hey, you know, Merrimack's got to win the next three hockey games here uh, in order to get themselves back in it. It wasn't always pretty, but they did. They won all three games. So they're they're back to 500, uh, 9, 9, and 1 now in the year. And it seems like we've got nine days off now, but it, it feels like maybe a step in the right direction, even though, like I said, it wasn't really the prettiest of times. Yeah, well, I mean, you can go back to the old saying that is constantly brought up. They don't ask how pretty, they ask how many. And, I mean, now we're sitting here once again at 9, 9, and 1. Back to 500, haven't been there since early on this season. Um, So it's a little bit of unfamiliar territory. um, And it's league games from here on out the rest of the way, starting next week uh, with a home-and-home against the Minutemen. So. A lot of uh, league action to get to, um, a little bit of news to catch up on here uh, with the team itself, so let's uh, let's just jump right into it. Yeah, I, so I thought the Brown game was their best game, which was the first one of the stretch, uh, and a lot of that had to do with the fact that they came out in the first period and just kind of took control of that game, and I think you saw a, a mentality shift there with Brown where... You know, it's a three nothing game at the end of the first. They're out chance, something like whatever it was, eleven to two, or you know, and, and for a team that's struggling a little bit like Brown is, it kind of just put them away. It, the opposite happened against Stonehill. You know, where you let them hang around a little bit. It's a zero zero game at the end of the first. They hit a post with like four minutes left, and now I think you've got a team, which is look, it is what it is. They're the worst team in college hockey. It made them feel like they were in the game. And I think you saw a team in that second period that had some confidence. And, you know, Merrimack ends up coming away and winning the game, but kind of has to scrape by to do it. I, I know they outshot him by a ton, uh, but that shouldn't have been a one-goal game. I mean, on paper, they are better than a one-goal differential uh, against Stonehill. They just are. Uh, and But it manifested itself differently, I think, in part because they didn't really just come out swinging in the first period the way they did against Brown. Yeah, well, I think the big thing with – the Brown game, like we talked about, he came out again an early one nothing lead. Bono scored again, so it's good to see him continue to kind of come along and be a productive part of the offense. He, him and Ty Dano both have uh, continued to just kind of keep up the pace that they started gaining traction with right around Thanksgiving time in the Turkey Lake Classics. So uh, they continue to be productive for the offense. And um, that Brown game, I think the other big thing too is – the power play got a great opportunity late in the period and you pushed it from what was a one goal game to a two, nothing game. And then a three, nothing game before the end of the first period. So you, you talked about it a little bit, right? You gave Brown no hope really on, you know, what was Friday night last week. 
And then you kind of let Stonehill stick around a little bit on Sunday. And it was scoreless after the opening 20 minutes of play. So you can kind of see how those games differentiated themselves and why one was a little bit uh, more of a one-sided game on Friday night. And from there, it was, you know, just take care of business and pick up a win on Sunday, get home, watch the tape, and see what you can take out of it against the tough Holy Cross team on Tuesday night. Uh, they came out a little bit sluggish early on. They surrendered a one nothing lead in the opening minutes of the game. Um, I wouldn't know. I just followed along because we had to watch the end of Dayton and UMass women's basketball. The final three minutes of that game took 26 and a half minutes. It was unbelievable. Oh, really? oh I didn't know. Oh, that. it was. Oh, yeah. So there was on. <laughs> so the game was on Nesson Plus locally uh, in New England. So you could watch it if you weren't on Nesson for the Bruins and Blue Jackets at seven o'clock as well. But the final three and a half minutes of that basketball or the final minute of that game, I should say, took forever to be played. Oh, um, I so I missed that. the opening goal. But uh, from what I saw, you know, as the first period went along, they, they got under them. They got their legs under them. You know, penalty killing is a big savior for them right now because this team continues to find itself taking inopportune times. I mean, you can speak more so to it, especially on that too many men. Uh, call late in the first period. You, you would send a text message. You've never seen a too many men call happen while the play is going on in another area of the ice, and it's been going on for a good 30 seconds. Yeah, I could be wrong. Okay, I'd want to go back and look at the video again. I, I, it wasn't like somebody jumped early in a change, the puck got thrown up the wall. I think they were playing with six guys in the ice because the play was all the way down the end. Like it was all the way down, it was in one of the attacking zones. I think it was in the Holy Cross offensive zone. So, and the referee just blew the whistle and and kind of looked over like eh, it's too many men. What do you want me to do? Like, and so I didn't, I didn't notice it at the time, but it didn't seem like it was called in the middle of a change. So I, I want to go back and look at it. I think they were playing with six guys on the ice, which is just like, how does that even happen? <laughs> and, and a great just someone, so someone comes over to the bench and goes, "Hey, uh, I got my guy." I, I, the one and somebody else clearly didn't. <laughs> the one, if if that is what happened, the one thing I would say, and again, this is why I want to go back and look at it. I'll have to check out the video and go back and see. They did lose Mac Welsher in the first period to a to an injury, so at that point they changed their lines around. Uh, Forsmark went to the top line. Satara moved down, I think, to where Welsher's line was. Uh, Nikita ended up moving to center. He was the extra forward. He was centering line. So my. If that is actually what happened, they were playing with six guys in the ice. My guess is that it probably coincided with Welsher going down and lineup in the lines being changed around and just a miscommunication and someone jumped out when they shouldn't have because their line changed and they didn't realize that they were on a different line. That's what I think probably happened, but I want to go back and look. It was just so weird because even the referee, who I did not think the officials had a very good night, uh, even the referee turned around at one point and was like, uh, yeah, it's too many men. I mean, <laughs> even he seemed kind of surprised by it. Uh, yeah, it was it was just weird. And the broadcast itself last night from my end of things, you know, sitting on my couch watching it and, you know, we can get to the third period and how I completely missed it uh, for other reasons. But um, we've all been yeah. It was it was just one of those things where all of a sudden it was a, it was a play blown dead in the corner. There was nothing obvious that stuck out as far as like an infraction was concerned. There was no trip. There was no, you know, blatant and obvious penalty that had been, 
you know, taking part in, in what the camera could pick up on screen, but it was, it was just bizarre. Um, well, I didn't see anything either. Like, that's why I, I was saying like, what, what's the whistle for? Yeah. Couldn't figure it out. Like, it, it, I think it, was, it was nothing but confusion. Yeah. I think Holy Cross had had the puck. They turned it over. Merrimack picked it up. They were trying to come out of the zone and the whistle blew. And it was like, for yeah. what? <laughs> um, because it wasn't especially the team had his arm up for very long. The official, yeah, yeah, it was it was just complete and utter confusion all around, and especially from the, the broadcast crew as well. You could tell that they had no idea what was being called at the point in time. Um, yeah, but it was a especially weird teams came up big last night. Power play was five for five on the night, and excuse me, uh, penalty kill was five for five on the night, and the power play uh, was one for one. Um, the first power, uh, the only power play of the game that Merrimack had was six seconds long and they scored <laughs> on yeah. the uh on the one opportunity and the, that was the uh third period goal um which ended up being a big one too with the the fact that they coughed up two right after that yeah so just kind of i don't know walk me slash the listeners who might not have might not have tuned in late in the third period what kind of what had transpired there is holy cross scored a pair of goals in 55 seconds and all of a sudden it was a what was a 3-1 hockey game was three three yeah uh some of the same stuff we've seen over the last couple of weeks turnovers uh turnovers and bad parts of the ice so you know i think you could have made the argument that borgil should have had a shutout against brown you know if not for a turnover and he kind of gets hung out to dry he probably gets a shutout against brown uh, that game last night never goes to overtime if they don't turn the puck over twice and or, or one wasn't really a turnover kind of let a puck go by and the other one was a turnover uh, so that's it's been something that's haunted them. It haunted them against Yale. It haunted them against BU. I mean, we go back to several games here, and and they haven't taken care of the puck very well in in inopportune areas of the ice, high dangerous areas of the ice. So that that has been a common trend, which is something I'm concerned about moving forward because they're not going to be able to get away with that stuff playing BC and UMass, who they've got coming up here in the schedule. Uh, I'm worried about that. I'm worried about the first period still. I mean, they don't, look, I thought their first period against Brown was good. They need to come out like that kind of swinging in the first round, the first period in every game. Because if not, like you're not going to be able to to have the first period you had against St. Thomas, uh, St. Thomas, against Stonehill in this type of same period you had last night against Holy Cross and survive a game against BC or, or UMass. They're going to put you away early. That's what's going to happen. So uh, I have concerns there still. I think last night, I, not that I'm making excuses here, but I do think last night some of that can be chalked up to fatigue. Uh, I think it's why they got out, oh, the power play, Disparity is a big reason why they got outshot by a wide margin, too. But I think, you know, back end of a stretch where they've got three games in five days and the toughest of the three opponents coming in that third game. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, well, I was going to ask you a little bit about that, too. Yeah, it's just a, how much, I mean, it's you a tough know, stretch. Yeah, I mean, Scott even said it in his postgame comments afterwards, right? He said, you know, I was asking a lot of my team, you know, at the beginning of the season when we, or, you know, heading into the season when we scheduled this stretch of games, knowing we had three games in five days and, you know, he did acknowledge, you know, yeah, it might've been tough. It might've been training, but obviously getting back to 500 was, was huge for this program and to come out and really respond and answer the bell in the third and final game of those, you know, of that stretch. I, I think that's a good thing potentially in, in a big building block for, this team going forward and i mean now that you look at it you get 10 days off before you're back in business next friday against a good umass team 
Yeah, it can be. You know, I I want to see what the next step looks like, but it definitely can be. They were fired up at the end of that game last night, and I think for good reason. Just the way that it manifested itself, it, I think I wrote this, it, it felt like a playoff game. You know, it was physical. Guys were going after each other. And Holy Cross, I mean, they, they kind of remind me of the way that, that Bentley used to play in, in the sense that, like, as soon as they get the puck, it's guys are flying out of the zone. The puck goes high off the glass. They're trying to shoot the middle and, and get past the defenders. Uh, Merrimack was able to take advantage of some of that in the second period by just getting pucks behind, you know, their first layer. And once they did, it, they were getting on man rush. It's kind of like crazy in the second period. Didn't score, uh, but we're getting plenty of opportunities. It's all oh, they did score on one of them. Uh, and it's kind of how Capone got, I mean, Capone's goal was just getting through that first layer of defense. And then all of a sudden he was by himself. But uh, again, once they got the puck through that first layer, things opened up, there was a lot more space. Uh, so they did a good job of that. Uh, but you know, I, I, it can go, it can go both ways, right? I mean, they need to, they, they came, they, they took care of business. They, they definitely did what they needed to do. They got the three wins in a row, uh, which is what they needed. And now it's a question of, can they do that? Against the because look, Holy Cross is a good team. UMass, who they're going to see next week, is a better team than Holy Cross, and BC, who they're going to see after that, is an even better team than UMass and Holy Cross. So, the competition level the next couple of weeks is going to get a lot tougher. And yeah, uh, I'm BC, curious BC if they currently can do that. has a BC currently has a handful of their roster competing over in uh, Gothenburg, Sweden, with the World Junior yeah. Program. So. You know, that just speaks to how much talent they have on that roster. Seven guys. Yeah, it's crazy. Seven guys from their roster this year are over in Gothenburg, Sweden, which are going to get a chance to play for a gold medal, Mike, too. I did want to bring that up shortly, too, before we uh, transition down the line. So I guess now is as good of an opportunity to bring it up as ever. Uh, How much of the World Juniors have you followed along with? What have you liked, uh, especially um, keeping an eye on you? You know, looking to hit the next opponent for the Warriors goaltender for people that might not be familiar with it for the Czechia team or Czechia, however, whichever way you're pronounce, pronouncing it nowadays, uh, is Michael Harabel from the University of Massachusetts. I thought he played really well the other day, especially knocking off Canada in the quarterfinal round. I thought he was excellent. Yeah, and, and I think he has been most of the tournament, to be honest with you. And it's really the next the next two goaltenders they're going to face because Jacob Fowler's kind of taken over the job for the U.S. team, too. Um I, I've seen more of Fowler. I know I just know more about Fowler. I think Fowler's legit. Like I think he's a NHL goalie who I think the I think the Canadians picked him in the third round. I think it's a steal. Yep. Uh you look at his numbers last year, the way he played for Youngstown in the USHL down the stretch, uh, won a Clark Cup and and his numbers in the playoffs were like lights out. Uh you know he's a freshman at BC, he's locked down the starting jobs, played every minute. He ends up kind of wrestling a starting job away from Trey Augustine and the world junior team. I, I think Jacob Fowler is legit. And I don't know how long he's going to be at BC because I, I think he's an NHL goalie in the very near future. And goalies take a little bit longer, right? They usually don't, they, they, yeah, it's tough if you're a goalie but to, to really become a regular in the NHL before you're 23, 24 years old. So he may, may be a thorn in the side of hockey East opponents for the next three years. Anyway, um, he could, especially third round pick could very well play through a junior year. Uh, but both of them, both of them are really, really good, and and you're going to have to face both of them coming up here in a row uh, yeah. over over the next couple of weeks. So, like I said, right? We said it doesn't get any easier. Like the competition is going to keep getting more difficult. No, especially getting into league play with, I think, what is it, six teams or at least five, probably six teams in the top sixteen of the pairwise right now, and three out of the number four, number one seeds right now in the pairwise yeah. at the tournament where today, three out of the four number one seeds would be hockey schools. It's crazy. 
Which also, too, the other thing, looking back on your past schedule, right, and teams you've already played, if you're a war- Warrior fan, you want to continue to root for UMaine to play good hockey because if you continue to win and they continue to win, those losses to Maine, you know, yeah, they're losses, so it's going to hurt a little bit more, but right at the same time, the better hockey they play, it looks better for your resume too as they continue to stack up wins. Yeah, I mean, you just look at the schedule they've got coming up here too. Home and home with UMass. Right now, they're UMass is a tournament team. Home and home with BC. They're a tournament team. Uh, then Northeastern, the end of the month. They're not yet, but you know they're playing well. Playing uh, better. The beginning of February, UMass again, tournament team. UNH again, tournament team. BU, tournament team. UNH after that again, tournament team. <laughs> Providence, uh, two Vermont after that, and then they got two. Who Vermont's playing good hockey too. Two with Providence after that. Right now, also a tournament team, uh, and then BC to close out the year. So. They've got what is it now? Uh, nineteen. So they got seventeen games left, or no, uh, fifteen games left. Only four of those games are against teams that are currently outside of the NCAA tournament. Yep, eleven of your two, last and fifteen it's the, games. And it's the two with New Hampshire and two with Vermont. Uh, no, two, uh, two with Northeastern and two with Vermont. Oh, excuse me, no, uh, Northeastern. Yeah, I'm, it, and that just, yeah. Oh, of those four games, three of them are on the road. So Scott Borg said it last night. I don't think I used the quote in my story, but he might be right. They may have the toughest schedule in the country the second half of the year from at this point on. I don't yeah, know I mean, anybody were... else that's playing 11 out of 15 games against teams that are in the tournament. Yeah, I would, I, it would take a lot of digging to try and find that one. Um, but. Yeah, and it's they certainly four games left. Three against BC, one against BU. Four games against teams that right now are number one seeds. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, hey, if you start stringing together wins, that looks fantastic for you. It's one of these things we yeah. talked about last week. I mean, the type of schedule. If they go five hundred the rest of the way, that might be enough to get them pretty close to being an at-large team. Because yeah. of who they're playing down the stretch. Because every win's going to help you, and the losses aren't going to hurt you that much. Depending on, like, obviously, it depends on who you lose to, but they're not going to kill you. Because, right, as of right now, as of right now, where's is Northeastern? Northeastern may be behind them. I was going to say, I think every game left, no, Northeastern's ahead of them. Northeastern's at 25. So every game left on the schedule is a team that's ahead of them in the pairwise. Every single one. That, that's that's how you build a resume to get into a get into a spot with an at large bid. Yeah, I mean, right now, North, Merrimack's at twenty seven, Northeastern's at twenty five, Vermont's at twenty six. So those two teams that are outside of the tournament are just ahead of them, one one and two spots ahead, but still ahead. So you don't play a team the rest of the way that's behind you in the pairwise, at least at the moment. Like by the time they play Vermont, they could have moved ahead of Vermont. By the time they play Northeastern, they could have moved ahead of Northeastern. But at the at this present time i mean that's crazy that's crazy it's 15 games <laughs> yeah i like i said the numbers and the the odds that you would have that kind of a strength of schedule there's strong schedules like we being people that cover and watch hockey east on a week-to-week basis like we do we know how strong teams can be and how tough schedules can get but i really don't think i've ever seen a schedule as backloaded as this one. Yeah. And it's just the way it works. I mean, the, the league makes the, 
the league schedule and you know the, the teams that are behind them in the pairwise it's only Lowell and UConn and they've played both those schools already so they're done yeah. with with those two uh and, and UConn by the way UConn I mean, UConn's playing well too they're gonna shoot up the pairwise I think here in the second half they're only one spot behind Merrimack they're 28 um, so you have 25 25 is Northeastern 26 is Vermont 27 is Merrimack and 28 is UConn yep wow and then you got a big drop to Lowell. Lowell's at thirty nine. Yeah, that's a that's a big yeah that is a big drop off. But I mean, four hockey East schools piled one on top of the other. Just yeah, that's not to mention yeah not to mention all the ones that are in a spot in a tournament. Yeah, spot. second half's gonna be fun. Who had Lowell, by the way? Who had Lowell picked as the worst team in the league this year? Not me. I mean, I didn't no. think they were going to be very strong uh, just because I didn't think they had enough guys that could score. Uh, but the, I thought they were yeah putting the puck in the back of the net was just, yeah. I thought their goaltenders were good and they could always defend, but no, I didn't see them struggling this much. Yeah. Um, it's just, I, I really can't. I mean, it's a shame now that we have to wait, you know, nine more days, ten, uh, eight more days till next Friday to get another game. But I mean, also at the same time, after a little stretch, a little rest can do the body good. Yeah. And especially like you, we just ran down the gauntlet there. They get to pick it up. I mean, they've, you, you feel good about the fact that they won three games in a row. I, I thought there were issues on Sunday and there were issues against Holy Cross. Like if they did, they, I think they were doing Holy Cross film today. We're recording this on Wednesday. I, I don't think that that was going to be a very positive film session because there was a lot of things that didn't go right in that game. So uh, they, they were lucky enough and fortunate enough to get the results that they needed. But I think if you look at who they're playing the rest of the way, uh, it, they got to pick it up because it's going to get, significantly more difficult <laughs> in the next two and months. Now, here, this is something you know, I want to get your thoughts on. With goaltending going forward, we've heard from Scott time and time again, you know, we love the combination that we have, um, but we've seen now coming out of break, Zachary uh, Borgil got the last three starts. Uh, obviously, Scott mentioned that there was some illness going around. Guys weren't exactly feeling a hundred percent. So there was a little bit of that going on. Guys just maybe using a, another day or two following the break to get a little more rest for the second half. Um, how do you kind of see the goaltending situation shaking out with the schedule now? Is it going to be more so we're going to rely on that split, especially where you have so many home and home weekend series and Scott can kind of go back to how he did things last year. You know, you're throwing yeah. both goaltenders out there. You're giving teams two different looks at guys in net. Or do you think it might be one of those things where, all right, let's see who gets hot. And if somebody gets hot, we make that decision and just kind of ride with it. Well, right now, I mean, if it were me, I think Borgiel is hot enough that you got to go with him. I thought he was exceptional last night uh, in, in a different way. Really good against. Stonehill as well. I keep trying to say St. Thomas. It's the third time I've done that. Um, but really good against Purple. Stonehill as well. Purple yeah, exactly. Does that. And ST at the beginning. Um, but yeah, I, I thought Borgil on Sunday, like long stretches without seeing the puck. And then all of a sudden, bam, here comes a two on one. And he'd have to make a tough save, right? Like that's it's a hard game to play. And then last night, he was just under a barrage for long stretches, including on the power play. He was their best player in the penalty kill. So I think right now, I mean, he's been so good. Coming out of break, I, I think you've got to ride him. If it were me, that's what I would do. Uh, until there's a point where, okay, you know, this tonight wasn't great, so we're going to go Hugo the next night or something like that. Uh, it was, 
it's kind of poor, unfortunate timing for Hugo. Just I, I think he was away. I mean, everybody went home for break. Um, I think the word was that he wasn't able to skate or, or skate as much when he was home. Then as soon as he got back, he was one of the guys that, that came down sick. Uh, so he missed some time there. Uh, didn't dress, uh, yeah, didn't dress against Brown because he was sick. And then at that point, too, you're in this stretch of a schedule where you have so many games going on, they're not practicing. So, like, he's not really yep. to kind of able to see pucks again. I don't think they wanted to put him in, out in a game situation until he had, you know, a handful of practices under his belt and he had some and had some pucks again. So, I mean, there's an opportunity there against UMass. you got nine days here, and I'm sure he'll be back up to speed by, by the time the UMass series comes around. If it were me, that Friday against UMass, I probably go Zach again, just because I think he's played so well. Yeah, I was, three games. That was I more so. Don't. That was more so what I was going to ask here, just specifically moving forward with the next game. Does yeah. Scott, does Scott ride with Zach because hey, he's got he's got three in a row here. You know, I think I would. And and it's no no direct shot at, at Hugo, and I I think both the both the guys in that or all three of the guys in the goaltending room know that hey, you know, we're doing what we need to do to come out here and try and win this hockey game. Um, but I, I kind of agree with you, right? right? Zach's got three in a row. He's playing well. He's tracking a puck well. And I, I think, again, I think you get a ro- ride with Zach on Friday night, see how he does. And then, you know, maybe if you're coming back and you've got some points secured, you know, say you maybe get a couple of points on Friday night in Amherst throw Hugo in there because at that point, right, you're talking a couple of weeks since he's seen game action. You can't keep, you know, you can't really keep him on the bench, can you? I don't know. That's a tough one. It's a tough decision, right? Because, I mean, I I think he goes Zach on Friday just because he's been so hot. And then at that point, you got to see. I mean, I I can see both sides of it. I can see if they win on Friday, uh, you look at it and go, well, you know, okay, we, we've – We've managed, We've guaranteed ourselves a split, so we're going to come back with Hugo on Saturday. I also could see saying, you know what? Well, Zach just beat this team the night before. We, we got to go for the sweep here. Like we we need as many points as we can get, especially because they've buried themselves in a little bit of a hole uh, as far as the league standings go. So, uh, yeah. I I think honestly, if it were me, I'd go with Zach until there's a game where you you look back at it and go, well, you know, he didn't play well tonight. So now we're going to go back to Hugo. And if Hugo gets hot from that point on, I, I, I think you've got to ride the hot goalie as long as possible. So if Hugo gets hot, you ride Hugo. If Zach gets hot, you ride Zach. And right now, Zach's hot. So I think you got to ride him until there's a game where, you know, you sit there and go, okay, well, n- now we, maybe we make a, a flip here and, and see what Hugo can give us. Uh, and maybe that manifests itself into a situation where it is still a split and they keep splitting on every week. Uh, in each taking a game, or I think it could also uh, become a situation where, you know, Zach gets three or four in a row and then uh, there's a bad game in there and Hugo gets three or four in a row and maybe there's a bad game and it goes back to Zach. Like, mm-hmm. I think, I think you want to try to ride the hot goalie as long as you can. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like playing blackjack, right? Stepping up to the table and you know, you, you dealer keeps, dealer keeps busting and you keep playing, you know, 17s and 18s and coming out a winner. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, quickly uh, on basketball, they play fairly Dickinson tomorrow. Again, we're recording this on Wednesday. It's posting on Wednesday. You may be listening to this a- after the game, the basketball game, which is played on Thursday. But a rematch of the NEC championship game tomorrow night uh, should be an interesting one. First game of league play for them. You know, I think that they, we were talking about this, you and I, last week. Uh, they should still be a favorite to win the league. I know, I think they were picked fourth, but you look at the way non conference has played itself out. Uh, 
you can look at the net rankings and the, the Ken Palm rankings. They're right up there at the top of the league uh, after after non-conference play. And yes, they needed to replace Jordan Minor and Ziggy Reed and Javon Bennett, uh, and they have managed to do so, it, it would appear. So uh, I think they're still a favorite. We'll see what happens. But tomorrow is a big one to start your, your conference schedule with the team you played against in the league title game last year. Yeah, uh, no, definitely. It's a, um, it, it's a big one tomorrow night. Uh, you're coming out trying to prove that, hey, we won this thing for a reason last year. Yeah, we might have lost some guys along the way, um, and a lot of people might have questioned that about us and whether or not we'd have the makeup and the mentality to come back and do it all again. Well, I mean, you looked at some of the competition they play in the first half, and you know the way they stacked up against them going in, it's one of those things where – um, hey, we might not have had a shot, but guys came out and played well. Guys have have emerged into different roles. I mean, Bud Clark has been spectacular, and we weren't really sure. We knew he was going to be good. We knew he was going to come in and contribute and his ability to kind of expand the floor and really beat guys off the dribble from beyond the perimeter Um, has been what's made of made him explosive and also at the same time, his ability to sh- shoot from the outside, you know, get the ball outside of the paint and be able to be a threat. And if he's not necessarily looking to take a shot, he'll turn around and he can pass it off to a guy in Jordan Durkak who has just continued to put his name on the NEC map over the course of the last couple of weeks. Uh, I mean, he picked up his second co-player of the week honors uh, last week prior to the BU game. Uh, following his performance against Bucknell the weekend prior. Uh, and it's one of those things where, again, we questioned who was going to step up and fill these holes. And you've got guys like Bud Clark, Jordan Durkak has taken on his expanded role and I think has even proved to be able to handle a little bit more than what people might have expected from him this season. Um, and the emergence of a guy down low and somebody Diallo, he's – He's been great, and even O'Connell down low in the paint too. His ability, yeah, especially recently, he's shown he's shown his ability to use size, and not for nothing. There's not a lot of guys in the league that really use their size and their strength um, more so than we've seen from teams with Merrimack and Jordan Minor and, and uh, Ziggy Reed last year. But I think somebody Allo has the potential to kind of grow into a guy like Ziggy Reed, who can be a big guy you feed in the middle, but also when we saw Reed at times, he could shoot from corners and and really start expanding things. And I think Gallo found another tool to put in his pocket. I think the yeah, the transfers have been really good the last couple of weeks. You you've really started to see them get a little more comfortable. Uh, O'Connell being one of those guys, Diallo being one of those guys. Uh, so that's that's really good to see. The only thing that I feel like can hold them back is shooting. I mean, the, the games where they've struggled in non-conference play, BU being one of them, they struggle to shoot. And I, mean, I guess, yeah, shocker, right? A basketball team can struggle when they don't shoot well. Uh, but it doesn't seem like they have many places to go if they're not shooting well. So that, to me, is the only thing yep. that's, that's going to be in the way. Uh, if they don't if they don't shoot well in games, they're going to struggle. Uh, but, you know, I think they're going to be – their defense is so good that they're going to – there's nights where they can survive – shooting okay you know they don't have to be great every night um they've got to be average and and if as long as they can do that they'll be fine yeah it, it's one of those things right i think 
the ability and and we saw it against BU specifically when they struggled early on. And it's not that uh it's not that they can't hit shots from inside. It's just when they don't, it affects rhythm. It affects the way that they want to run their offense. They want to chew the clock and get it down to 10, 15 seconds on the shot clock before they're, you know, really kind of starting to run their offense. That's, that's how they do it. They grind it down they beat you down. They wear you. And when shots just aren't falling from in the paint, it makes them feel like they have to play catch up and they're starting to throw up more, more threes than maybe they would like to. And offenses can kind of flame out a little bit when things like that happen and, and shots don't start falling. So, um, you know, if they get out to good, good starts, it bodes well. And, you know, basketball can all be about a game of runs. It's just, can you make a run that's big enough sometimes if you dig yourself into a hole early on when you hit those slow starts? Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then football, quickly before we wrap up, it does seem like we talked about them a couple of weeks ago uh, when they hired or when they promoted Mike Gennady to head coach. Uh, said it was possible that they could go the independent route in the FCS while looking for a home from a conference standpoint. It does seem like they're preparing to be an independent next year. <laughs> no official word, but uh, we, we talked about the Air Force game. They're going to open the season with that. They added another FBS game on the road at UConn. They've got games on the books against Dartmouth and Fordham as well. Fordham's the only one that I believe is making a return trip, but or at least at the moment, Dartmouth may. Um, but Fordham's coming back in 2025. So uh, four games already on the schedule leads me to believe and to speculate that they're probably going to be independent at least in 2024. Yeah, and I mean, the whole independent route allows you to schedule different teams that you haven't necessarily had on your schedule before. It allows you, you know, to see more um, FBS teams is what it does, yeah. Yeah, you can kind of go all over the map, right? I mean, UConn's on there, uh, trip out to Colorado Springs with the Air Force. We knew about that a couple of weeks ago uh, when you had that. Um, but no, it, it's cool. It'll be cool to see some of the uh, different programs and, and places uh that you get to go when you're independent. I mean, I guess it's maybe that's part of the reason why Notre Dame continues to do it other than, you know, they think that they're better than everybody else, but you know, I'm not, I'll, I'll, I'll hold my gripes with, uh, with Notre Dame for a, a better date and time. Well, no hockey this weekend, Ian, but uh, people, will they hear you at the basketball game on Saturday? Uh, Saturday. Yes. You won't Sacred hear me Heart? tonight, whether it's Thursday. Yep. Uh, Thursday night, I'll be at TD garden Bruins penguins oh. going to see Crosby and uh, Malkin for the first time. So Nothing wrong with that. I, I made a plan a couple uh, a couple of weeks ago. Wanted to see Kane and Taves before they were, uh, went their separate ways with the Blackhawks. Did that, crossed that off. So now I want to cross off Crosby and Malkin, and uh, also get Carlson on the tank attached along there too. So yeah, I'll be there. Uh, be there Saturday on the microphone for uh, basketball at Lawler, three o'clock in Sacred Heart. That's another big one because uh, Sacred Heart was another one picked near to the top of the league. So Merrimack starting their NEC play with two uh, two other opponents picked near the top of the NEC. Uh, obviously, hockey's off this weekend. They're back at it against UMass the following week. So we'll Women's talk hockey more. on the road at Wisconsin. That's right. Oh, that's right. That's a big series this weekend, too. So uh, we'll be back next week to talk about all of that and more. Uh, a little short episode this week, but that's okay. That's it for this week. Ian, where else can people find you? Uh, Twitter at Ian Bo, TikTok at PA Guy Bo. You can catch me there. And also come find me at Lawler on Saturday. Say hello. And Mike, happy new year as well. Thanks. You as well. Uh, Happy New Year to everybody. Thanks for listening and downloading. We will talk to you next week.